There's a time and a place for black and white, like when you're learning to play piano, or when you want a big two-toned cookie, or when shopping for a pet zebra. But if you want to attract customers, there's no room for black and white, so go to Staples. Staples specializes in bold, hard-to-miss color printing. And now at Staples, get 20% back in rewards on color printing, from banners to brochures and copies to presentations. Print more color, save more money at Staples. In-store only. Ends 11 10, 18. Restrictions apply. See store associate or staples.com slash 20 back for details. Blog Talk Radio. Radio. As always, it's your boy 3K. Ryan Van Bibber is actually going to be joining us later. He is tied up with some professional duties with SB Nation, but I'm going to roll on uh, by myself for the interim to knock out a little bit of intro. Before we bring on some special guests from across SB Nation, we'll have Jess Root coming on, manager of Revenge of the Birds, SB Nation community for fans of the Arizona Cardinals. We'll be followed by Trey Niner, Trey Faborg. Uh, he's from Niners Nation, of course, uh, community for the St. Louis 49ers. And we'll be followed, lastly, uh, picking up the rear is Jackson Bevins, Jackson El Burrito Grande Bevins, coming in from field goals. Um, what, what, how do you do this? How do you intro a NFL season appropriately? I've tried, uh, I think, for six years now, and I think I'm six for six uh, in terms of failing. Most people would call that 0 for 6. I look at that as batting a 1,000. Consistency is the hallmark of a champion, uh, and I pride myself on it. But uh, we, here we are on the precipice of another St. Louis Rams season. Obviously, this one feels a little bit different. There are uh, real expectations. The team has been restocked with talent. I guess if there's a storyline of the day that Rams fans understandably are tracking, it's the release of Joe Long Dunbar, obviously a very productive member of a revamped defense in 2012, having come over from New Orleans Saints, uh, the recipient of a multi-game suspension for stuff. Is that is that what the kids are calling it these days? Things, stuff, 
Ramets. Um, yeah, not a good way to start off the season, and then today was actually cut by the St. Louis Rams. Uh, you you get a sense that between bringing in Alec Ogletree and Will Witherspoon, uh, one through the draft, one through free agency, perhaps Joel Dunbar wasn't as valued as his production in 2012 might suggest. But in the end, it's going to be a new core surrounding James Laurinaitis uh, at the second level of the defense, and it portends interesting times because we know that the defense is still really the strength of this team. Uh, as we covered on the site the other day, we've locked up Eugene Sims for a couple more seasons, so the defensive line is intact not only this year but into next year. And even 2015, Jermel Cujo is the only defensive lineman who's not locked in through the 2015 season. So it's pretty obvious that this defense is being built from the line out, um, and there's good reason. I think we've seen how successful this defense can be with the kind of line that they have intact. It's a matter of improving and finding opportunities for the secondary to clamp down a little bit more and see some of what we saw from Alec Ogletree, uh, forcing fumbles, picking up interceptions, allowing maybe improved safety play at the back to carry the defense to levels of success it hasn't had in quite some time, uh, really decades worth if you're talking about defensively uh, unit success. But I think all eyes understandably are going to be on this offense. You've got Sam Bradford now coming into a fourth year perhaps a break it, make it, take it, or fake it year. Has anybody termed it that? Well, it's been done. Count it down, write it down, mark it down. It's all over now. It's break it, make it, fake it, take it, strike it, rake it, and cake it. So that about does it for me doing the intro solo. I think think I've run out of material. Is that what they call it? I think it is. It's time to uh, bring on our first guest from Revenge of the Birds. It's Jess Root. We're going to talk about some NFC West stuff. We're going to talk about some Arizona Cardinals. We're going to talk about life, and who better to do so than Jess Root? Jess, what's going on, my friend? Not much. Thanks for having me on tonight. Well, you know, first question, is this a make it, break it, fake it, or take it year for Sam Bradford? You only get one option, go. <laughs> I'm going to say it, it's it's a make it or break it, as 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 is the cliche. Well, it's a good cliche, but as I learned with the rotisserie grill when Sam Bradford on the field, you can just set it and forget it. I had to work. I've been waiting years to work that into tertiary radio, and I guess tonight was the night. <laughs> Jeff, let's talk about the Cardinals. Help me out here. Let's talk about the Cardinals, my man. Um, I guess first things first, you know, the Rams and the Cardinals were pretty familiar. As familiar as divisional foes can be with one another going back uh, for quite some time now in the NFC West, I guess that there's two areas that I'm looking for change from you guys. One makes sense because of the personnel change, but a second because you guys just had to change it, and that's quarterback and offensive line. The Rams made good work from a defensive line standpoint against you guys, and obviously, you know, when, you, when you're looking for talent, it's difficult to, as we know, you know, in St. Louis, it's difficult to put successful lines together. Uh, but, you know, NFL play in the modern era revolves around quarterback, and you guys went out and grabbed Carson Palmer. How do you feel about the, you know, Carson being able to engineer some sustained offensive success this year, and what do you feel about the line in front of him? Well, it, it, looking at Carson Palmer, the one thing he, he does really well is make quick decisions, and he's got the arm to do it. And it's kind of it, – he's finally kind of found himself in a system that fits his skill set. Bruce Arian likes to – chuck the football down the field. There's, there's a few of, few of the people on the side that like to call it a pumpkin chuck in offense. They like the, it, it was Andrew Luck. He did it all the time. Chuck the ball down the field, see what happens later. And, and Carson Palmer still has the arm to do that. He hasn't been in an offense that's really asked him to do that. Um, 
but that's something he's he's quite successful at. And but what he does well is get rid of the ball. He makes he makes a read and he gets rid of the ball quickly. He's done that consistently. He did that last year with the Raiders. He was one of the best at avoiding sacks. I think it was what twenty six or twenty seven sacks. He behind an offensive line that wasn't any good. And you think think about it. Look at what the Raiders' offensive line looks like this preseason with Matt Flynn and, and Terrell Pryor. It's been abysmal, and, and it was essentially taking Carson Palmer away. So he establishing some sort of offense will be something that the Cardinals should be able to do. The question is, is of course, the protection up front. Uh, on paper, you'd think things would be better. Bobby Massey, he was really good down the stretch, but really bad at the beginning at right tackle. Eric Woodson. That he's now on, on the team. He is an upgrade and should be an upgrade at that position. Levi Brown, while he's not a world beater, he comes back that DeAnthony Batiste was, was, was an abomination a season ago. We get Levi Brown back, and, and here's what he is. He's going to struggle against some guys, and he's going to do okay against others. But the one thing he will do is, is clear the way for the running game. Uh, Jonathan Cooper, unfortunately, went down for the year. Um, our first-round draft pick, but Darren College slides back over to left guard where he was a season ago, and he's been for his whole career. Uh, Paul Fanica, who's kind of been a journeyman at tackle, um, has moved inside and looks good in the preseason. We'll see how that goes the regular season. But it, it, personnel-wise, you would think that the offensive line performance will be better. And if we look at the limited time in, in the preseason, they did well. In fact, the they did not give up a pressure to, I don't think it was the first two, two and a half games it took before they, the first team offensive line even gave up a pressure. Part of that's all Carson Palmer, and part of that was you know, teams to kind of dial back what they're planning on doing, nothing real complex in the way of blitz pattern. But those two areas, the areas of main concern, are definitely upgraded. Yeah, I think uh, one thing that was pretty impressive was the defense, uh, and we'll get to that in a second, but I think, you know, they're, they're just going to force, and we saw it for the Rams last year, forcing those opportunities for the offense to come up big and maybe make a play. Obviously, you guys are aware of Fitzgerald, as long as he's in the league, he's going to deservedly uh, attract quite a bit of attention from opposing defenses. What about the rest of the offense? Who are some of the playmakers? We know you got Michael Floyd, obviously, on the outside. The, the running back core looks pretty deep, certainly a little bit stronger than the Rams at this point. What are you looking for in terms of playmakers on the offense? Well, what the talk has been this offseason is how Michael Floyd is going to break out. And we've seen him play some pretty good plays in the preseason. And the other player that is expected to really thrive in, in Bruce Arians' system is tight end Rob Hausler. Now, as for the opening week, I don't think he's going to be playing. He, he suffered a high ankle sprain in the preseason, and he's listed his day-to-day. I personally would be surprised if he plays this week. Um, but outside of that, a guy that that's be be ready to see is is none other than Patrick Peterson, the, the Pro Bowl corner, uh, the guy that, that ended a that ended a game against you guys a couple seasons ago with the punter. Yeah, we know plenty about Patrick Peterson, Jess. We, we've seen plenty <laughs> he's of Patrick Peterson. Yeah. He's, there, he's the so, fifth receiver. And so talk about those plans. How, yeah. how is that, that going to work out? Because obviously you don't see a lot. We see that sometimes at the college level, guys that will play on both sides. You know, you go back to maybe Warren Sapp, and you, but that was more of a specialty play under Gruden. How is that going to work to see somebody who's going to be used maybe a little more, more athletically and downfield than, you know, your kind of hybrid defensive offense guys? Now, I would imagine he'll be in for a handful of plays, the most maybe 10, 15 plays a game on offense. 
Um, That's still a lot, though. It, it is. It is. And, and it will depend on, on how, how well the defense does. I mean, if they're out there for an extended drive, no, he's not going to come back on the field offensively because he's already a punt returner. Um, right. But if the defense does a job and can get off the field decently, you're going to see him a few times on offense, and it's going to – I imagine we're going to see defenses scramble a bit because uh, the skill set's there, in fact. I mean, it – Head coach, especially Bruce Arians, likes to speak a little bit in hyperbole. He used the word elite and talked with an Eli and with Levi Brown. We know he's not elite, but he used that <laughs> word to describe him. Um, he said that Patrick Peterson has the tools to be a top five receiver in the NFL. Um, that's not he's not a top five receiver now, but he, he said he could be, and, and that's the threat. He's not just out there to decoy or just to catch a screen pass and run with it. He can fly by guys in, in coverage and get down the field. And we saw a few a few bombs in practices where, that he hauled in and, and just completely destroyed our 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 defensive backs. Well, what are you talking? I mean, if we're talking about the secondary, how do you feel about Teron Matthews now that he's been added? Obviously, comes in with a lot of hype, plenty of headlines, not only in his next to last season when he earned them on the field, but certainly the last season around LSU when he did, wasn't able to make it back on the team in time before the draft, uh, brought in with quite a bit of hype in that third round. How has he looked this offseason? Well, if there's one thing that they're, that's not being talked about anymore, they're not talking about the off-the-field stuff. That story has kind of played its played its way out, um, and as long as he stays out of trouble, which he basically hangs out with Patrick Peterson. He's, he's been living with Patrick, and he, he's his kid brother, basically. Um, but on the field, he's been very disruptive. He went from he's learning he learned a new position playing safety. He's backup safety, and he also earned himself playing time. He is now the team's um, nickel corner that comes in and nickel downs uh, and passing downs. And he's been making plays. He disrupts he disrupts the ball. He's been used in blitzes. Uh, led to an interception. He had a forced fumble. He's had an interception this preseason. He's 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 a very exciting player to watch. Uh, he's going to gamble a few times. He's going to get beat uh, once or twice, but then he's going to do. You're going to see probably see him maybe once or twice a game do something like you're like going to say, "Wow!" And and that's kind of what the expectation or what the hope is from him. He's going to be on the field a lot. And I think that's one of the more interesting positions for you guys because for for so long, you know, you think about safety in the Cardinals and. Adrian Wilson, Kerry Rose. I mean, last year those guys seemed to put together a decent unit, at least against the Rams and historically they had. Uh, what about this year? I mean, it, it's, who is it? Jeremiah Bell and Rashad Johnson, correct, starting? Yes, that's who we've got. Um, that's actually a big question mark among fans, um, the safety position. People don't know yeah. what they're, what they're going to get from Bell. Rashad Johnson, he's, he's a quiet, productive guy. Last year was the first time he actually created any sort of turnovers, and he had he, he had some big plays. Um, but he typically he's kind of in the right spot. He's good, but he's not going to do anything flashy. Bell is hasn't looked good in coverage, but he's been great in run support, and, and he's a veteran in the league. I don't know how long people are thinking maybe maybe he'll get overtaken in the starting lineup by by Matthew. Like the shallow slide over to strong safety and and Honey Badger will will jump into free safety. I don't know how, how that's going to go. I expect to see him probably playing a majority of, of downs out there. But that, it's, that, is, that is one of the major concerns um, is the secondary, is at least the back end of the secondary in the defense. 
Sure, because I think who do you, you guys still have? Who's on the outside besides Peterson at cornerback? Is it Gerard Powers? Sorry, it's Gerard Powers this year, and he has struggled and he's made plays. He looks phenomenal sometimes, but then against against what is it, San Diego? He look he got picked apart. Uh, he got flagged with three pass interference. A couple of them are pretty close, but. Yeah, and, and he's going to be picked on it no matter who it is. doesn't matter who you have opposite Patrick Peterson. The other guy's going to look like he's not very good because they're going to throw his way. And that makes sense. But it, I, I think that's maybe a good segue in terms of looking towards Sunday. What, what, do you, what do you expect? What are you looking to see? What do you need to see from the Cardinals to maybe nip a game, obviously, at home for St. Louis, which we're not expecting. And if I was a betting man, I'd be thinking the Rams, but I'm not. Uh, what, do you, what do you think? What do you, what do you need to see from the Cardinals to maybe have a chance on Sunday? Well, we're kind of counting on the defense being somewhat like it was last year, and it's kind of hard to do that because the schemes are different. The person, there are six new starters, and it, it's it's kind of difficult. Other other than the personnel, the, the core personnel is there, and it kind of looks the same. But they need to force turnovers, and that's what they did in the preseason. They, they were forcing a lot of turnovers, whether it be fortuitous or causing them. If they get turnovers, they're going to be in a position to, to steal this one, especially since the offense should, shouldn't be the abomination it was a season ago. I mean, it was historically bad, the offense, last year. And, and this year, it should be the offense can put up points and can drive the field. How effective is the red zone will be the concern. Can we finish drives? but that it will be able to at least move down the field, which is something they couldn't even do a season ago. Sure. Well, what do you think of the big storylines? I mean, if you're looking at an overarching storyline, a plot line for the 2013 Arizona Cardinals, maybe it just juxtaposed against you guys last year, maybe something specific to this year, maybe it's the nature of this roster, the coaching staff, you know, uh, now that you've got, uh, Bruce Arians at the top, and maybe the Bidwills, whatever their you know role is. I know that's something specific to you guys and a, a personality fit. What do you think is the 2013 storyline specifically for you guys? Specifically, it's got to be the offense. The everything that was changed in the off season was geared around rebuilding the offense. Um, the Bidwells, the Bidwells let Ray Horton. Um, they interviewed him, but they really were looking right. for someone to to mold the office, someone who has a, a track record with offenses can can scout and develop quarterback talents and, and that's what Bruce Arians done. I mean he brings in an offense that that has a track record of being successful, at least at some level. He has a track record working with quarterbacks. He's got a quarterback that fits his system. And if the offense does what it can and while the defense might take a step back, the story is will the offense perform? There's a lot of pressure on Todd Bowles as a defensive coordinator because of how good the defenses was a season ago. But the offense is the big thing because that was what all the changes were geared around, changing the offense to be productive, getting better quarterback play. Well, what do you, what do you think? What, what is the level of excellence? Obviously, Arians, is a, he's got a little bit of, lay, uh, of leeway you know, coming in. Nobody's going to be pretty much one and done in NFL except for the – the freak shows of the head coaching ranks with those, uh, uh, what's a good word, erratic 
uh, ownership situations. So he's probably going to be there for a while. What are you kind of expecting from him in year one? Is going to because we saw it in St. Louis with Jeff Fisher. There was a personality and a, a, a an assuredness of somebody who's been there before. You've heard it, but you know, play like you've been there before. And I think that was one of the things between Scott Linehan and Steve Spagnuolo was that. You know, in their first term as head coaches in this league, sometimes they felt like they almost had to overdo it or underdo it to act too calm. And Fisher always seems, you know, comfortable with the disciplinarian who's who's able to approach that in a friendly way. You know, you suspend Janoris Jenkins, Chris Givens, rookies before their first game against the 49ers, and the Rams almost go out and win in San Francisco. It's one of those weird situations where, He's somebody who doesn't have to justify being a head coach. But it, it, do you get a sense that Bruce Arians is going to be that kind of guy? He's got a swagger about him. Like, and even though this is his first real job, um, having tasted the waters a season ago with Indianapolis and kind of catching a little bit of a mat, of mad magic, the talk is winning. They don't want to. They don't. They're not talking rebuild. He refuses to use the word. They're reloading, and they want to win now. In fact, players are talking about. You know, they'll be disappointed if they don't win the division. They will be. They they're to, they want to be in the playoffs. They want to be in the postseason. And while outside expectations vary from, well, the national media says terrible, to some, I mean, I, I honestly personally can see the season going anywhere between five games, one, to 11 games. And it, it, it takes everything bad happening to get five and pretty much everything happening to rule their way to get 11, much like how things went in Indianapolis a season ago. Um, But I'm thinking what the expectations are is competitiveness. Can they pull out some wins? Will they look good? Are they going to be competing in the division until late in the season or competing for a wild card spot until late in the season? If, if If we're in the discussion all year, I think fans will be happy with what's happened. The team won't be. They will be disappointed with the with, but as long as we're competitive throughout the season, if you kind of look at the Rams last year, they were competitive all year. They didn't sure. quite get over the hump. That's kind of what, what I think everyone is hoping to see, something that's hopeful for the future, an offense that can score some points so where it's not a complete uh, – it's just – it was hopeless last year watching the offense after Kevin Cobb went down. It was absolutely hopeless because – some of their defense scores some points. Oh, they got a turnover. Yeah, they're not going to score. They're not going to do anything. And then that's that's kind of the thing: competitiveness. The team wants to win, and they're talking up a good talk. They're talking up really well about winning, being competitive, postseason, winning the division. Crazy talk. Um, but it's competition. <laughs> if they're going to be competitive, and if they don't look terrible, then then we've made progress. Well, look, Jess, the crazy, crazier things that have happened, so I'll make you a deal before I let you go for the evening. Here's, here's the deal. Uh, last, last year you guys jumped out 4-0, really scared a lot of teams, especially in the NFC West. I ended up having that tough stretch down the road and weren't able to turn things around really at any point, so I'll make you a deal since you guys are opening in St. Louis. If you guys are able to go 4-0 against San Francisco and Seattle, I think we'll be willing to seed that Week 14 game in Arizona, is that a fair deal? Probably. Would you would you would you, would you, would you take would you take five and one in the NFC West? Oh goodness, yeah. <laughs> I would take five and now, one any year in the NFC West. Just this is a binding deal. This is a binding deal. This is legal. Um, I believe. Let's see. You've got your address here, so everything's good to go. 
Um, I'm going to take that as being concrete. Hey, Jess, I appreciate you coming on tonight, man. Best of luck in the season ahead. Perhaps not on Sunday, but as always, you know, we love you over there at Revenge of the Birds. Everybody listening, you know, for the Cardinals fans out there, few and far between that may be on a Rams-specific podcast, you want to check out Revenge of the Birds. Jess and his crew do good stuff over there. Jess, thanks for coming on, my friend. Thank you much. Have a good night. Thanks. Just root everybody. And I think the Cardinals were an interesting story, just to make a little bit of a segue before we bring on Trey from Niners Nation. I think one of the interesting things about football is you you can never say impossible, right? So you look at the Arizona Cardinals, and it's easy to say NFC West champions not going to happen, but there's always a possibility. As, as impossible as it sounds, the NFL is the one league that makes the impossible possible. This isn't college football where – Alabama is just not going to – so, for example, I'm a North Texas fan. We played Georgia in three weeks. It's not going to happen, man. It's just not going to happen. But in the NFL, anything can happen. You can have an Arizona team come out and knock out four wins before their season really craters and they have to make some changes throughout the entire franchise to try to, as I guess Bruce Arians is saying, reload and not rebuild. That's that's one way to look at it. But – you know, early on in that season, you had wins against Seattle and New England to open the season, and then Philadelphia. So the, uh, Philadelphia understandably cratered too, but there was talent there. So for the Arizona Cardinals to win those four games, and you look at, you know, coming into the season, every team improves every offseason. It, it's difficult to say it's impossible, but if there's, if there's one team that knows impossible, if there's one team that has come out of a, a place that we wish they would be in for a long, long time, extending the marriage between Alex Smith and Mike Singletary, uh, finding a way to hold down to the bottom of the division and make sure that the the plague of the 80s and 90s when uh, the San Francisco 49ers were on top of the world and San Francisco was uh, essentially d- demoting the Rams to another planet. It's the guys over at Niners Nation, and we're joined now by Trey Fabor. Trey, am I saying that right? Please say I am. Absolutely, you got it. Well, I'm going to call you Trey Niner. I'll make it easy for the rest of the night. Trey, thanks for coming on, my friend. I don't know how much of the, the Jess interview you were able to listen to. Get, let, let's, be, let's be real. If, if we're looking at the power rankings for this division, is it fair to say the Cardinals are coming forward? Yeah, I mean, on paper it is. I think that most Niners fans probably think uh, Seahawks and Niners are going to be battling at the top and that the Rams aren't going to be sure. too far behind based on what we saw last year. and that the Cardinals have a little bit of a long road ahead of them, but we don't really know what to expect with Bruce Arians era and with uh, the Carson Palmer era and everything being a shoot in. So, you know, I think they're bringing up fourth, but I, I couldn't tell you that I'd be completely surprised if it's a, if it's a fourth that's close to third, which is close to second and close to first, et cetera, et cetera. Is it, is it odd to you, and I think, you know, I've been putting it, trying to put it in perspective for a little bit now. Obviously, the ascendance of this division as a whole has been somewhat rapid. But it seems like on the whole, it's been a defensive uh, transition for everybody, whether it's you guys and stacking up with linebackers, you know, Patrick Willis and uh, Alden Smith, Navarro Bowman, and obviously the front three for that 3-4 is pretty strong as well. But it seems like it's really the linebackers that are the heart of this team. Um, and even though Alex Smith didn't pan out, it was the defense that was starting to really gel before you guys put the pieces together on offense, seemingly. You got Seattle, one of the better defenses in the league. Obviously, the Rams were a defensive-minded team last year, and it seems like the Cardinals, if they're going to do anything uh, 
overall throughout the season and be successful at it, it seems like it's going to come from the defense. Is that an assessment you'd agree with? Yeah, and I couldn't be happier about that because I'm a defensive-minded guy to begin with. And, I, you know, a lot of people in the new age of the NFL think that we're kind of old school and conservative when we talk about running the football and playing defense. But to me, that's kind of the sweetest way to play the game, you know, to control the clock, to play defense. I, 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 there's nothing I love more than, than, you know, making a stop for no gain or a linebacker penetrating through the backfield to trip up a back before he even gets started or a sack that happens within two seconds. I mean, these, those things get me going more than the, the most spectacular offensive play. And I would agree with that, that the, the NFC West, if it, has a, if it has had any success in recent years, it's been based on the defense for any of the teams involved. And, um, you know, even Arizona, I heard a little bit of the interview that you had, even their big wins last year were very very much based on the defense's performance and being able to limit other teams, you know. So I I don't buy into the, the arms race and that every team has to score 35-plus points and that's the only way you can win in the NFL. And I, I kind of like to stick it to those who, who do feel that way, playing defense and running the football. And, and uh, you know, that's just that old-school football. So let's see, Niners fans, defensive-minded, small gains. Let's look at this 2013 San Fran draft. we got uh, LSU, uh, defensive end from Florida State, defensive end from Auburn, running back South Carolina, defensive end Alabama. Damn it, Trey Niner, you guys, you guys have a modus operandi. I mean, it's obvious that you guys are putting a certain kind of team together. And and despite the fact that Colin Kaepernick is going to get a lot of the headlines, is it fair to say that the rest of the team is built – around that kind of vision, would you would you say that? Is that something that most 49ers fans would say? Oh, yeah. You have to be tough to play for the 49ers. You have to be incredibly tough. You have to be able to, to dish out the pain just as much as take it, and you have to be able to get up. Uh, we have – I was just thinking the other day, we have – I remember when Alex was here, there was, I think, one single season where Alex Smith, Joe Staley, and Adam Snyder, who's left to Arizona and then come back again this year – there was one season, I think, where all three of them had, had played through, you know, bloody noses at the bridge of their nose running down their face, and, and there was all kinds of, uh, you know, all kinds of camera shots, all kinds of pictures that were published, you know, thereafter or whatever. But, I mean, that's Trey, just... the, the NFL does not glorify violence, all right? There's been no link between violence and following three percussions. Please, don't, don't bring that to church or radio. We don't have the kind of funding to, to follow up that with a legal fight. But that's the kind of football player you have to be to play here. I mean, you have to be the kind of guy that goes in there and gets the snot knocked out of you, and you're bleeding, and you, you don't even realize it, you know, and you're right back out there playing again. And that's that's who they're going to bring to this team. And I, honestly, that's probably part of the reason why they get rid of guys like A.J. Jenkins, because if you're out there and you're a little afraid of, of contact and you kind of play, you play a little different when you hear footsteps around you and everything, I mean, that's not what we're about. That's absolutely not what we're about, and that is a reason why we go to the SEC and why we go for guys that like to bruise and, and like to get in there and mix it up. Sure, and I guess that's a good segue. I think one of the more interesting positions for you guys, understandably, is wide receiver, and the problem is, you know, and, and being serious about NFL and football in general is that the more physical you are, probably the higher chances of suffering a serious injury are, and I think that's been one of those positions that maybe the off season has dealt you guys a bad hand. Luckily, the Rams – 
I, I, do I still have to knock on wood, even though the preseason's over? We, we've been relatively injury-free, but I think, you know, losing Crabtree, that wide receiver position looks a little less settled than it did, what, maybe five, six months ago. Well, run us down the, the San Francisco wide receiver core and, and what you're expecting from them this year. Well, you know, it may be a little bit of a homeristic view, but a, a lot of people, I think it's a little convenient to say Crabtree goes down and all of a sudden the position's in trouble because if you if you really think back two or three years ago, Crabtree's whole success in the NFL was in question. He, he was constantly missing preseasons with various injuries uh, or, or whatever it was that would hold him out. It was always something that had to do with a, a lower leg, whether it was a foot or an ankle or something. There was excuse me, there were surgeries, there were sprains and strains and this, that, and the other. And, you know, each of his first couple seasons was, was 400, 500, 600 yards. I mean, it wasn't anything spectacular, and everyone was like, they picked this guy in the first round. You know, we used to get laughed at for, for having a, a, a borderline bust at wide receiver. And then last year he has his first really, really solid year, you know, which granted that helped us get to where we were, but everybody's freaking out like, like, like Crabtree's Calvin Johnson or something, and we just lost, you know, the 90% of our offense or something. And, I, you know, I don't, I, I, I'm sad to see him go, and, and hopefully he's able to return this year. But I think most of us feel really good about who we've got left. And, uh, you know, I, I'll be the first one to say and not the only one to say that I think that everyone's going to know the name Quentin Patton within a couple of weeks in, in this NFL season. He's a guy that, for whatever reason, Flipped into the fourth round. Uh, a lot of scouts had a first round grade on him, a late first round, early second round grade on him, and he broke his finger early on uh, in the off season. He never missed any practice because of it. He went out there and he, and he either was instructed not to catch the ball, uh, and he would run his routes and he would run his plays, or he would catch the ball one handed. Eventually, after a while, I think he just kept nagging them, and he just started catching the ball one handed. So the guy never missed any practice at all. By the time he actually got to play in the third preseason game, it was evident, and this is like the biggest thing that we all say about him, the game is not too big for him. He doesn't get nervous. He, he goes out there and he plays, and it's like it just it's not – the jump to the NFL was not a big deal to Quentin Patton. He, all he does is get open. Um, you know, Kyle Williams is going to probably start opposite Bolden right now at the wide receiver two position, but the whole notion of starting receiver opposite Bolden is kind of a – a misnomer. I think the way to phrase the question is who's going to get the most snaps opposite Bolden. And it's going to be a little bit of a, of a rotating position between Williams and Patton and a little bit of Marlon Moore. Uh, although I think Marlon Moore is probably going to fade into kind of your special teams receiver that, that plays in all the coverage units and things like that as the season goes on. But like I said, I think Quentin Patton's going to be somebody that everybody knows his name after a couple of weeks. Which is strange that you say for somebody from Louisiana Tech that the you know the leap wasn't too big from him. Obviously, the Rams are dealing with a guy in Brian Quick who, for whom the transition was, uh, let's say, difficult in year one, and perhaps uh, remains so. So it's interesting to hear that. But I, I think if there's a if there's a trope from the 2012 49ers season, and really perhaps the NFL at large is the introduction of the zone read option into the NFL and kind of piercing that. Uh, conservatism that is is so hard to get past from the NFL coaching circles. But you guys, understandably, were one of a few teams to really do it successfully. And when you have somebody like Colin Kaepernick to run it, it makes things incredibly easier. What do you think you, you expect, at least early on, from the 49ers offense, now that teams have had some time to study it, they've, they've gone to – 
college teams, college coaches like at Stanford who had to defend against some teams out in the Pac-12 to get some tips on how to deal with the zone read option and deal with the scrape exchange. What, what do you expect from the offense early on this season? Is it going to be a little more, you know, traditional look, um, maybe some pistol uh, formation? What, what do you expect from the 49ers offense early on? Well, there was a piece on Grantland uh, last year at some point in time, I believe, that basically defined the read option and its place in the NFL. And the term, the phrase that they used was constraint play. And what that is, is it's not, a, it's not the base of your offense. It's not something that you run all the time. Everybody has this idea that teams like the 49ers and the Redskins and the Seahawks run the read option 75% of the time on offense. But that's their base. Not true. We're not true to line up in the pistol and run the read option every single play. This isn't Notre Dame from the 90s. You know, This isn't triple option every play, and that's the way that it works. It's constraint play. It's something that you force the defense to prepare for. It's something that you pull out and you show them that, hey, you're going to have problems with one aspect of this one way or another. You know, And, and it's something that you do to force the defense to think about that so that you can do everything else that you want to do. The 49ers at their base are a power-running team that relies on uh, you know, traditional traps and dives, and they use a lot of different formations and they use a lot of different motions and things like that, but they primarily run traditional running plays, power running, play action passing. The read option is something that sometimes they go through the majority of a game and hardly even use. Uh, the, some, of the, some of the things that, you know, I've read recently that are, you know, very true about it is, uh, in terms of how to defend the read option, and you know, uh, you know, everybody says we're just going to hit the quarterback, and Baltimore tried that in the Super Bowl. And granted, the Super Bowl didn't turn out the way that we wanted to, but Kaepernick passed for over 300 yards. He had a 90-plus quarterback rating, and he also ran for almost nine yards a carry. So, you know, there wasn't really a, a magic answer for it. Uh, there was also games like Atlanta where uh, and I can't remember the numbers off the top of my head, but he, he hardly ran the ball. He hardly, he hardly, the read option was hardly a factor in that game, yet he threw the ball well. Frank Gore ran for over 100 yards, and everything was hunky-dory. You know? So I don't think the read option is this, is this staple of the offense that everyone thinks it's going to be where we're going to be known as a read option team that does it all the time. And, you know, one of the big things that Kaepernick has as sort of a chip on his shoulder, and Steve Young echoed that he felt the same way, is the desire to prove that you can be a pocket passer, that you're not just a scrambler, that you're not just a running quarterback. And that's what we've seen thus far in the preseason, and that's, that's all we've heard from, from Kaepernick and from the team thus far, is that hey, he's going to go out and be a complete quarterback. He's going to do whatever it takes to win. And if that means sitting back and throwing 37 passes a game from the pocket, that's what he's been working on. That's what he's going to do. So, I think it'll be something that'll be part of the offense. You'll see it a little here and there. I always say, hey, if you're going to be like Green Bay and you're going to let it run wild, there's absolutely no reason not to run that play. But, you know, if if it doesn't work for that game and if it's getting shut down, we'll find another way. Trey, I'm going to be blunt. You seem like a nice guy, but all this positive San Francisco talk is making me a bit nauseous. I've got to call in backup. I've got to call in backup. We've got... El Macho Nacho. I think that was the worst nickname I've ever given anybody, but it's fitting because we're bringing in Ryan Van Bibber, Van. You're late to the show, but you had good excuse. What's going on, my friend? Please help me out. Dig me out of this hole. Can you hear me? I I can hear you, but it, uh, it's we've been talking 49ers, and it's been it's been so glowingly positive. I just 
Everything's spinning. Oh, God. Well, is this a radio show? Uh, well, it was. I don't know what it is anymore. It may. I may be asking for health health care. I don't know what's going on. What's going on? Man? I, mean, I wanted to be. A, I wanted to be a local talk radio caller. I wanted to be. A, but, well, I to be a, is this the Tony Softly show? <laughs> is you, you need to have your mom banging on the door. You need to have your mom banging on the door from the outside. I told you get off the phone. <laughs> no, you know it's a good transition because we were talking with Trey from uh, Niners Nation, and you know he we were talking about some zone read option stuff and kind of recapping the 2012 season. I think what's interesting though is that the Niners were maybe the best overall team that the Rams faced last year, and it was the team they were the most successful at. I mean, in facing twice. I mean, there's no dig to the Arizona, but. They presented a less of a challenge, and I guess I throw it back to either of you. Why were the Rams able to deal with the Niners so effectively, both in San Francisco without Chris Givens and Janoris Jenkins, but then at home and getting the win? I think I really think the the defensive line. I mean, it, it, it's sort of not the whole part of the equation, but I mean, I think that's a big part of it. I mean, San Francisco to me, one thing that stands out. One thing why they run the ball so well, no matter what reason how they run it, it's. They have such a killer line. It's great. It might be the best in the league right now. And then, but the, you know, the Rams have a defensive line that could match. I mean, they were having a double team Michael Brocker some in that game. That's you know, when was the last time you had a Rams defensive lineman that needed a double team? Hell, I mean, you know, Jimmy Kennedy. You didn't even need a single team on Jimmy Kennedy. You could just kind of like, hey, you know, hey, there you go. But anyway. <laughs> That, now that's some better. That's that's more fitting for your Sunday. That's hosting tonight, PK. That's that's right on. You got some NC skills. It makes it, it makes it easier when you got good guys like Jess and Trey coming on. I was, I was, Trey kind of dropped off. I, I, I was hoping he was going to stick on with us for a little bit because I had a couple other questions. I may have offended him with my talk of the nausea. It, we we quoted Steve Young on Turtle Radio, man. I just, I just <laughs> ugh. ooh. <laughs> Somebody needs. We need a shower. I was putting deodorant on my eyeballs. It just nothing was making sense. I, oh, ah. a shower I mean, and a fresh pair of magic underwear. Bleach on the Q-tip and just jam it up my nostrils. Whatever works, works at this point. We're still waiting on Jackson Bevins to call in from field goals. Hopefully he'll be on in a second. I had told him to call in right about now, so we'll give him a minute. Um, in case you missed it, listener, listening to this podcast a while in the future, how is middle of September? Are we 2-0? and oh? Great. Good to hear from you. Um, Van, for you, on the other hand, we, we had an interesting discussion with Jess about the Cardinals and, and talking about their confidence level, and I was surprised to hear after the 2012 season that they had that they're as – I guess not too surprised. It is the NFL. Uh, spring brings uh, optimism anew, but – you know, some teams you would think, and for the Cardinals, you know, you look at this division with the the 49ers, the Seahawks, and, yes, even the Rams. I was surprised to hear him as optimistic as he was. in covering the entire NFL for SB Nation, how many teams have really given up on 2013? Is it pretty much just the Raiders, Jets, and Jaguars? Are, are, are some of them even saying, you know what, maybe things bounce our way and we're in it? Uh, you know, in the playoff hunt in week 15, are there any teams that really consider themselves out of it in early September? Well, it's pretty amazing how many nine and seven predictions you see from teams that will probably <laughs> be like four and, you know, four and 12. 
in that neighborhood. I know. I mean, there's some bad teams out there right now. I mean, you know, most of the, I and mean, I think that maybe is part of the reason why you can kind of see a little bit, you can see more optimistic fans and stuff. And you see, look at the, the AFC. It's so bad that, you know, you could be, you might have a shot at seven and nine, like the old NFC West of, of yore. But I mean, so if we're if we're looking at the landscape, then obviously you know the AFC is a different beast than the NFC. Bringing it back to our oh god, what did we call it? It's uh, spectacular gasm, whatever I called it in the previous post. It's the NFC West roundup, right? Well, how do, how does this shake out? Because it seems like you've got two good teams, and look, even good teams can have. Breakdowns, and I don't mean a breakdown from a single player or a game. You can have multi-week breakdowns. How, mm-hmm. how do how do we deal with that? I mean, you posted the power rankings at SB Nation today, and, and understandably, it's Forty ers one, Seahawks two. Is there is there a way to crack that ceiling with the Rams at nineteen and Arizona down at twenty-seven, or is it a matter of just surviving the divisional battles and picking up enough non-conference or excuse me, non-division? wins to try to make yourself available down the stretch for a playoff run? You know, I don't know. I mean, I look back at the Rams last year and, and you know, that seven and eight, seven, eight, one record is a good record. It's probably a little bit, you know, for one, you, you give Jeff Fisher a little credit. He coaxed more out of that team overall than they probably, you know, than they probably had. And then I think too, you know, another thing, with the Rams that, that worries me a little bit and where I think you see might you have the chance to see more regression to the mean, so to speak, than we're probably giving them credit for is is the points off turnovers last year. I mean, you know, you look at um Janoris Jenkins, three touchdowns. That's uh you know, that's not likely to happen again. You're not likely right. to have that level of, you know, interceptions or it's a skill to grab an interception, but to some extent, you know, you also sort of need the ball to go your way too, you know. It's not um, definitely expected six, seven, eight I mean, you touchdowns. Know, fumbles especially. So yeah, you know, I see. I I look at that and I see like, well, I mean, you know, there's maybe some games that you know, maybe some points that wouldn't necessarily you can't really count on as a consistent thing from year to year. Because what do you want? Do you want Janoris Jenkins to take more chances on the ball, or do you want Janoris Jenkins to, you know, to, to man up on on the guys in coverage when he's got to do that? And I, you know, I just think there's there's a lot of youth and inexperience on this team, and a young team like that is going to have hiccups. And one, it, you mentioned the young team, and I think that's a great way to move into this last question before we bring on Jackson. Is one one thing that I'd hoped, you know, with despite the fact that we're still an incredibly young team, I, I think I saw this correctly that we're still the youngest team in the NFL. But having a coach like Jeff Fisher and as much experience as he has, and the kind of staff that he has that I was hoping we would improve on from 2012 to 2013. But if there's any indication, the the preseason this year suggested that there ha- not only has there not been an improvement, there may have been a regression. It's penalties. Then the penalties have been – I'm I'm struggling to come up with the right a- adjective. Uh, Brain-curling, um, <laughs> soul-garlic-pressing. Soul I, I don't I, – as somebody who considers himself verbose, it's hard because the penalties have been staggering. They have. I, you know, I'll go back. You know, I'm going to go back to that younger, the youngest team in the league stat. I don't necessarily see that as a good thing. I mean, I don't want to just, you know, rain all over everybody's parade. Or I'm not trying to do that. But 
it's not to me like to me you're the youngest team in the league. You know, it's it's nice because you have a lot of you know we've had a lot of high draft picks and a lot a lot of draft picks that are still with the team from the last two years. But you know, another part of the reason you're the youngest team in the league is because you don't have any draft picks left from 2009, 2011. You know what I mean? You've got all these drafts where maybe you've got one or two players left over from it because they were so bad for so long. I mean, you know, Jason Smith and Adam character and like those guys should still be on the team in, in some way, maybe not character, but you know, you go back, you know, Jason Smith should still be the left tackle for this team. Have things gone according to plan. You know what I mean? Or had sure. not screwed up the draft. Pick. So that's, you know, that's, you miss out on those, those three and four year players that are that sort of become the nexus of your starting group, not necessarily your superstars and not necessarily your scrubs. And the young team's great and all, but even the best young talent is going to struggle a little bit. I think when you adjust the NFL, I mean, you can look at you can look at any of the rookies on the Rams last year. They had a great season from Janoris Jenkins, a, a fantastic season. Not to criticize it at all, but the guy had his. You know, there were games where Janoris Jenkins made some mistakes. You know, the Miami game kind sure. of immediately to mind. You're just that's you you know, people were talking on Twitter today after losing Joel on Dunbar. It's like that's no big deal because we've got Ray Ray Armstrong. Well, I like Ray Ray Armstrong's talent. I like what he brings to the package and the what he brings to the team in terms of raw skills, but you know, he's not gonna play like Joel on Dunbar did last year. This is his first year in the league, he didn't play football last year. You may be overthinking this. I mean, obviously, Joe Mom Dunbar was pretty impressive in year one, but yeah, for, unless you forget, the Rams have Darren Bates on the roster. All right, we lose Sam Bradford. What's the big deal? Kellen Clemens. We got Austin Davis sitting back there, not on the roster right now, but we can swing him in any time. Things are going to be okay. Now, look, I brought you on at a good time because Trey, with the talk about Steve Young, understandably, and all the positive notions of the San Francisco 49ers, I was having a bit a bit of difficulty with my digestive system. Then you want to go and bring in Jason Smith and the Rams drafts of the late decade. (laughs) This is going to make it tough. We're going back to back to back. I'm bringing in back to back to back some Jackson burrito Bevins from field goals. We're going to talk about the Seattle Seahawks. Hey, 3K, I'm going to drop off for a little bit. We got to, I got to, I got to jump on this NFL preview. I will, uh, I'll call back in if you guys are still on the show. Oh man, I see. I see how it is. We bring on we bring on Seahawks specialist, and all of a sudden you have to you have to run. I understand. I understand. I know I'll say something I, terrible. I know I'll say something. I'll I, put my I feel like no, I'm just I feel like Leonidas at the head of the pass. Russell Wilson in all his pierced face glory staring down at me on the golden throne. All right, I'm ready. I've talked myself up, Van. Good to hear from you, my man. Take it easy. Guide the ship to NFL SB Nation, true and straight, Jackson Bevins. Welcome to Tertial Radio, my friend. How are you doing today? I'm good, Joe. I really appreciate you having me on. Of course, brother. Hey, so I, I know you just called in. I don't know how much of the show that uh, you've been able to listen to. Apparently, thus far, we've established a couple facts. Number one, Arizona's <laughs> going 10-6. and six. San Francisco okay. is going 11 and 5, and St. Louis is going 12 and 4. So these things we can just assume to be true and just keep moving on. Um, that, uh, that doesn't leave many left over for my guys, does it? 
Well, you know, you guys have non-division games. Don't get so down on yourself. No, I think it's one of those things that's interesting about the NFL, man, is that there's no team that doesn't improve over the off season, except maybe Buffalo and the New York Jets. Yeah, Buffalo and the Jets, I mean, they're the only two teams that everybody looks at and says, dear God, get out of that dumpster fire. But you look well, at the Oakland, NFC West. I throw, I throw Oakland into that mix. Oh, don't don't count on my boy Terrell Pryor. He's got jerseys to sell, my friend. And you know, when there's when there's cash to be made, there's there's games to be had. But you, you look at the season last year with the NFC West, and two teams really escalated the play. Even though the San Francisco 49ers were in the NFC Championship two years ago, Kaepernick understandably took them to another level. You guys, on the other hand, a defensive, not even resurgence, a surgence, especially in the passing yeah. game. And then Russell Wilson. I mean, give us a quick recap of the 2012 season and, and and what it meant. Maybe maybe set the stage for us for you guys going back to February and saying, okay, that just happened. What do we need to do to prepare for this year? Sure. Yeah, you know, uh, heading into last year, I was pretty excited about the uh, the way the team was coming together. But I had them at a nine and seven team, and if you forced me off to the nine and seven ledge one way or the other, I would have landed on eight and eight. Um, I thought it was going to be a progress year, and uh, I thought that they would play a meaningful December game or two. But uh, the the switch flipped after week six last year, and and it was pretty amazing. I think the last game they lost was to Miami, yeah, about. Well, I want to say maybe week nine, they won a couple of games before that. And then they didn't lose until um, until the NFC second-round game against Atlanta. And and it was an amazing thing to watch because all of a sudden, like in Seattle, when it comes to our sports teams, we're hopeful that they win. That's, that's what we are. We are hopeful. But we are not expecting. And it was so crazy to see how quickly that shift happened from hopeful that we win to almost expecting and and it was that late season early December run when Seattle scored 150 points in three games that I yeah. mean, we all had we all had to step back and say like this isn't this isn't a normal thing that we're seeing happen right now and uh, I, I think it it just goes to show how further ahead in the game Russell Wilson was than any of us thought and I would say even than the Seahawks thought because they wouldn't have waited until the third round otherwise. I think he surprised sure. everyone. The defense we knew was going to be good. We weren't expecting them to lead. At least I wasn't expecting them to lead the NFL in scoring defense. Um, and it wasn't even they forced a ton of turnovers for all the love that the secondary gets. But they were unbelievable in the red zone last year. And that's just a, it makes sense. I mean, that's, those four guys in the secondary are hard to pass on when you have a lot of field to work with. It's very, very difficult to pass on them when you have no field to work with. So it was just cool to see it, to see it happen. And uh, I think it went further than everyone thought it would last year. But now, as you guys probably know from uh, your late nineties, early two thousands days, once you start to see what your team is capable of, now it's like, okay, losing the second round of the playoffs, is going to be considered a uh, a disappointment this year, I think, which right. I realize everyone who's listening, and I know what you're thinking, and I know how ridiculous that sounds. You think, that, you think there are people listening? Come on, Jack. <laughs> <laughs> uh, perhaps this is just a mo- vocal 
masturbatory <laughs> exercise then. Either way. There you go. It probably, probably is. No, but go ahead. What, what were you saying now? Oh, I was going to say, uh, you know, I, I, I know how silly it sounds to hear a Seattle guy say, you know, oh, it's going to be a disappointment if we're only go to the second round. Like, we, I know what we are. I know what our history is. We're a team with basically a franchise career record of 500. And, but, you know, you can't watch how that team played over the last two months last year and not raise the expectations considerably. So, yeah, we're going in, uh, you know, not expecting a lot of regression because this is a young team and the starters were essentially set going into training camp. So there's really not a lot of turnover. Sure. And I think I think one of the things that's difficult to deal with in sports is to sift through those teams who just happen to finish well and those teams who have turned a corner and, you know, the trajectory continues upward. And it, you know, way. I hate to say, way it. It. say again. Oh, I, just, I, I like how you put that. It is difficult to tell. It's hard because, I mean, for on one hand, and this is my personal opinion, I look at the Redskins and I think those that's a team that just got some breaks their way down the stretch mm-hmm. for the most part. Don't get me wrong, RG3 is incredibly talented, but, uh, you know, I just saw a team that for the most part, and living in D.C., I saw just about all their games all last season, uh, a team that really wasn't winning games but kind of taking opportunities. Whereas you guys, the the level of improvement from early November on, and I pulled up the schedule, you know, you guys started 4-4 four and four and lost that back-to-back games on the road to San Francisco where you only scored six points and then at Detroit. Um, but you come back and you get the wins at home, Minnesota and New York Jets before the bye, lose to Miami coming out of that break. But then it's the five wins down the stretch. And you mentioned 150 points. Arizona and Buffalo, I mean, it's impressive to score 108 points in two games. But it's it's that next to last game of the regular season. I mean, beating the Rams twenty to thirteen, and we played we, the Rams play everybody tough. Uh, you know, you beat yeah. us in St. Louis by six, you beat us at home by seven, and I think losing to Seattle by seven. Anybody who knows the kind of home field advantage you guys are famous for, that's not yep. uh, anything to be disrespectful for, especially for a team for in the Rams that weren't playing for anything at the time. But it's that forty two to thirteen win against San Francisco. That is not – I mean, if there are things that exist as statement wins, you look at San Francisco, you look at Washington, and you even look at the late-game heroics in Atlanta, and it didn't finish the way you guys would have wanted. But the way that Russell Wilson played in that second half of that game was – it was different. It was different in the sense that not just he turned the corner, but everything had changed. And it, it was the one time that – that it was like, look, we've changed, and I'm saying we, I can't believe I'm using that term as a Rams fan, but for a Seahawks fan to say, look, we've changed, we're capable of this, and you guys really put it together, and if there's any team that I think builds on a run in 2012, it's scary to say, but I think it might be you guys. Yeah, you know, and and I'm trying to be really cautious about uh, thinking that way, (laughs) but uh, it's a it's a practiced guarded optimism that we have up here, and uh, but you're right. The and and I I'll also preface by saying I'm not a huge believer in momentum from the end of one season to the beginning of the next season. I don't think the numbers really bear that out very well. Sure. But there was I the reason I would say that there might be an exception in Seattle's case is there was a very noticeable shift that happened mid season. Uh, 
not just in terms of execution, but in terms of uh, personality, I guess. You know, Pete Carroll took the reins off of the playbook for Russell Wilson right about week seven and basically took the reins off the mouths of his players too. And 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 you could just see that attitude shift and how no no one on the – I mean, you take it back as far as uh, the game against the Packers. You know, no one – on the Seahawks was apologetic about that win. No one was like, hey, we got a lucky break or this and that. I mean, it was a total come at me, bro, attitude. And and you started to see for the Seahawks that or the momentum for the, for the Seahawks. Like the, the – uh, when the Seahawks beat the, beat the Packers, you know, a lot of people, they stole the win. They didn't deserve the win because the fail Mary play, right? And And no one on the – the Seahawks were very vocal about, you know, dismissing all of that. There was no no shying away from it. And, uh, you know, midseason, it was like uh, the reins were off of them, and they got to say what they wanted to say on and off the field to a, a much larger degree than in the first two and a half years of Carroll's tenure. And and uh, it worked for them. And so there was their off-the-bus appeal increased dramatically you know i think they it was a team that showed up to stadiums with presence and and we haven't had that in a long time yeah i think one of the more interesting things about looking at the this division is that there's so much new talent even though that you know you got teams that were successful last year just give me a, a drop line percy harvin is there any sense of when if he might return yeah you know uh they put him on the active ir so they'll activate him after week six because they believe he'll be ready right around week 12. Uh, that happens to be Seattle's bye week. So we're thinking first week of December, week 13, is kind of his his target date. So they'll have to make do without him for the first three quarters of the season. And you, I, I don't think that's out of bounds. I mean, you guys were certainly talented enough. Run us through that offense. In fact, if we can, you know, I'm relatively boring when it comes to my style of football. One of the things I love is line play, offensive and defensive. Talk to me about that offensive line. Obviously, you got Russell Okung, left side. Max Unger, one of my favorite centers in the game. One of my favorite names in any sport anywhere, J.R. Sweezy, is perhaps. Yeah. I don't know if it, I don't know if it's a real name. I don't know if Def Jam Recordings dropped that on J.R. <laughs> as soon as he made it out of North Carolina State. Uh, but you got Giacomini on the right side. I think I feel I have to say it like that every time. Talk about that offensive oh, line. Do. How do you feel you about do. it this year? You do because you, and the thing is, you guys have the running backs. You've got and Marshawn Lynch, Robert Turbin, and the Christine Michael, who was I was been talking. I'm from Texas, so I've been talking about Christine Michael since about 2010. You got Russell Wilson. You guys have the personnel. I think if there's a weak spot, is that fair to say that perhaps it's the offensive line? Yeah, and that's just because. Uh, you know, I think more continuity issues than uh, talent issues. Seattle charted out a new or a different offensive line in, I think, 14 of their 16 games last year. And there's a lot of shuffling around on the line. Um, Okung was – Okung and Unger were steadfast, but then everything else was uh, a deck of cards. And so um, this year they've – I mean, everyone's a year older. But, again, lingering issues with a lot of people. There's not a lot of position specificity. I mean, you got your tackles. Okung is obviously a pro bowler and has been playing like one essentially since he got drafted. So he's yeah, he said, Unger, 
Unger's a pro bowler. He's he's great. Um, the you know Carpenter and Sweezy and Giacomini and you know whoever else that they end up uh, charting out there this this year. Those guys are a little bit wild cards. Uh, Sweezy is interesting because he was drafted as a defensive lineman, and so he's learning offensive line at the NFL level, which is just uh, you know gonna gonna make it very difficult. And so um, I think it's not realistic to expect him to be great early on um, and maybe ever. I, I think of him as a stopgap. Uh, Carpenter is shown to be a much better run blocker than he is a pass blocker. So, you know. Well, he's from uh, Alabama. Come on now. They, 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 right, do they even exactly. pass the ball? In the, come on. No, not not ever. Uh, the nice thing about the Seahawks' offensive style is that, uh, you know, they don't need traditional pass blocking to be quite as – good with the amount of motion and read option that, that they run. Gives them a little bit more wiggle room for uh, subpar pass walking. But uh, the in, the real interesting guy for me is, is Giacomini because he is among the most penalized player in the NFL. And he, he, a lot of them, it's not a lot of holding, like he's bad at blocking until he gets a lot of holding penalties. It's a lot of after the whistle stuff. And mm-hmm. He plays, he plays like the biggest kid at the playground, and it's fun to watch. But there were a lot of penalty kill and drives on his shoulders last year, and it hasn't looked any better uh, this preseason. The encouraging thing is that he is just a beastly blocker. Just he's, I mean, he's enormous. He's six eight, three fifty. I mean, he's a he's a gigantic man, and uh, Cable loves him. Tom Cable, the offensive line coach, former Raiders coach, he loves Giacomini, and I think that is why he has as long of a leash as he does with his penalties. But the idea is to win games. Everyone says it, right? Win games in the fourth quarter. But the way Seattle wants to win games in the fourth quarter is by trading body blows with you for the first three. And that line is built to do that. They're better moving forward than they are moving backwards, and I think that fits the scheme. Interesting. I, mean, I think that's interesting to hear, and I think maybe that's a good segue. You mentioned Cable, and one guy we haven't talked about is in the player on the team is Pete Carroll. I mean, you guys have a uh, talented coaching staff, uh, I guess it's fair to say, but it, it seems like it fits. It seems like it fits a modern Seahawks franchise. What, what does the fan base feel about the coaching staff and Pete Carroll in particular? You know, uh, it, it's interesting. Uh, Jeff Fisher is one of my all-time favorite coaches, but Pete Carroll, it's <laughs> I can't help but think I wouldn't like him if he wasn't the Seahawks coach, uh, just because of what I'm sure the perception of him is. I mean, he's he's the anti Jeff Fisher in a lot of ways, and sure, uh, you, sure. you know he's he's a leg humper, he's a cheerleader, he's always rocked and pumped and jacked and all kinds of stuff, and running down the sidelines and all these things, and it's it's goofy, but uh, the thing is that the players respect him, and he is a ruthless, ruthless roster constructor. Uh, he is not there to spare feelings. He, he, you, I mean, he cut two Pro Bowlers his training camp. You know, it's the last time a coach cut two Pro Bowlers, and because he felt that he can 
the drop-off in talent to the next person isn't as big as the drop-off in salary, and that makes it worth it regardless of what you've done for uh, for the franchise. And so I think that people really fear that. They respect it. And the reason they don't hate him for it is he lets them be them. Once you make that final 53, he has your back all the way, and he knows that if, you know, you're Richard Sherman and calling out Tom Brady is what gets your head right for the next game, you can go do it. You know, if you're Golden Tate and you want to take a lap around the field after catching the fail Mary, you know, yelling you mad at the fans, you can do it. Like, this is – he wants his players to get into the mindset they need to get into to beat people consistently for 60 plays. And it's a really cool thing to watch. So um, it reminds me a lot of the Dennis Erickson Miami Hurricanes. Um, I think that he wants a team that is more athletic than you and has more swagger than you and is willing to play a half, with, half second past the whistle longer than you. And, and now he's got his guys to do it. So I think this is going to be the first – time of the Pete Carroll era that we've seen him do what he wants to be able to do for the whole season. And like I said, I think it is to be big and bold and strong and brash. And he's not going to do any of that, but he's going to let his players do it. Sure. And uh, it's exciting. It's exciting to watch. And I think you guys have reason to be excited, understandably, obviously, with the postseason success over the last couple of years, the big win over New Orleans at home, and then you go into last year and the run that you guys had, even though it ended in Atlanta. Um, I, I wanted to ask Trey this, but he actually dropped when I brought Van on. In terms of a storyline, if you had to predict, not to, not the the win-loss record or anything like that, if you had to predict a storyline a year from now, when you're recapping the 2013 season, what what is the one storyline that you think kind of defines the Seahawks for this year? Um, I think it will be the establishment of Russell Wilson. Um, I think 2012 was his emergence, and I think that we're going to see – I think that's going to be the biggest thing. I mean, I'm not going to sit here and say that we're going to be looking back at it as the year we want at all. Uh, I I think Seattle is one of the two or three best teams with the best chances of winning it all this year, but I'm not predicting that that's going to be our storyline. I think it's going to be – the nation's going to understand that the Russell Wilson is going to be one of the best quarterbacks in the NFL for a long time, um, you know, from – Week 10 onward last year, he was the highest-rated quarterback in the NFL, both by QBR and by the traditional passer rating. Um, his third down passing was among tops in the league. He had the highest passer rating out of the pocket in the NFL. He had the third highest passer rating in the pocket in the NFL. Um, you know, Football Outsiders has this stat called Houdini's. He led the NFL in Houdini's, which is plays where you're supposed to be tackled and you end up not being tackled. Uh, I mean, rookie quarterbacks don't do that, and if they are, it's Cam Newton, you know, and, and he's not Cam Newton. He's he's phenomenally accurate, and he's smart. He, he just doesn't seem to make a lot of mistakes. He can make all the throws. I mean, he's the quarterback the Seattle franchise has been waiting 40 years for. So uh, I think that we're going to see that last year wasn't a fluke, and I think that he's going to be viewed from 2014 onward as one of the elite quarterbacks in the NFL. Well, I, I offer this to Jess as as a peace offering among NFC West foes. 
I will make the same offer to you here and now. Again, this is legally binding. As somebody who works in Washington, D.C. for the Department of Defense, I warn you of the ramifications of denying this this legal application. Um, Should you guys uh, match us in what I expect to go 4-0 against the rest of the NFC West? So if you guys win your two games against San Francisco week two and week, uh, I think, 14, and obviously beat the Arizona Cardinals in October in the next-to-last game, then I am willing to give you guys on Monday Night Football a win in St. Louis as long as you give us a 50-point victory in St. Louis, or excuse me, in Seattle in Week 17 so that we can make a playoffs deal or no deal. All right, I'm cool with this. If if Seattle has a buy, there's, there's no counter offers. There's no counter offers. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know that I can... <laughs> yeah, I don't know. No, go ahead. Jack. I don't know. Well you're, you're you're wanting you want me to let you go five and one in the division. I, <laughs> I don't think. Now, what I were can you going to say? What's, what's the kind of make me a, make me a deal? <laughs> I, was, that I was going to say if if Seattle is fortunate enough to be you know like thirteen and two thirteen and two at the time and got home field advantage locked up, I'd be happy to see you guys get into the playoffs. And actually, I, I will say this: I I count the Rams as one of my more favorite non-Seahawks franchises. Uh, there's probably six teams that I really cheer for consistently, and I wish outside of Seattle uh, and call it passive fanhood. And I really wish that the Rams weren't in the division because there's a lot of guys on your team that I like, a lot, a lot of guys on your team that I like. So uh, if, someone, if someone else needs to get into the playoffs out of the NFC West this year, I really hope it's you guys. Well, Jackson, those are kind words, and I think as much as I enjoy uh, the Rams going up against uh, rivals that we have such history against, if there was a year that perhaps I kind of wish that the Rams weren't in the NFC West either, this would be the year. I, and there's a couple yeah. divisions in the AFC. I really wouldn't mind if the Rams oh, had their divisional schedules. Um, I mean, there the might literally is. be nine of the 12 <laughs> best teams in the NFL might be in the NFC this year. I think nine of the best 12 teams are in the NFC West. You do the math, and <laughs> we'll get back on a later date. But, brother, I appreciate you coming on, man. It's fun Absolutely. talking to you. We had a good time when Danny was hosting the draft stuff. Burrito Supremo, I think that the inside joke is hey, never just, going just to die. Hey, just for you, I'll have you know, just for you, I have a steak in front of me. So, it is. So, no, I told you I was going all veggie everything, but. I was I was just joking. I I had to make up for it last time. I I can't come into the host's house and you know bring in a veggie so burrito got, in like it was my own house. So every and for just to let it, some people in on the inside joke, Jackson had a burrito. I was gauging the uh, what's the good word the veracity of his burrito back when we were talking draft with Danny Kelly. Uh, no, it wasn't Danny. It was Kenneth uh, Kenneth the Menace yeah, yeah. over at the field goals for the draft show. Um, and he had told me about the vegetarian options for the draft. Now, I took my daughter yesterday, Labor Day, down to downtown D.C. We had lunch, me, my wife, and my daughter. We got her some enchiladas. She gets the enchiladas, and she looks up at the waitress and goes, can I have a bowl of cucumbers? This is a three-year-old girl ordering a bowl of cucumbers at a Mexican restaurant. And I looked at her, and I said, Damn it, Jackson got to you. And of course, my wife, my wife and my daughter didn't even get the joke, and I, I thought it was hilarious. I laughed at myself. But I'm, I'm glad you you got to nope. you. somehow. 
Straight she opened my there. email when I wasn't watching, but it is what it is, man. I, I appreciate you coming on, man. We always have fun. I look forward. Maybe we'll get an opportunity to bring you on midseason, do another NFC roundup. We have fun. Yeah, yeah. Anytime, man. Just let me know. I really appreciate being on here. And uh, really, I mean it. Good luck to you guys this season. You guys drafted my favorite player of the draft this year. So enjoy him. Hey, I appreciate it, Jackson. Thanks, man. All right. Have a good night. Jackson Bevins from Field Goals, you cannot not like the staff that they put together over at Field Goals. The reality is, as much as I want to dislike the fans, and in some ways I do, uh, the other NFC West franchises, the problem is you've got a place like SB Nation where you collect smart individuals and funny individuals and personable individuals that don't represent the worst of their fan bases that the media so often presents to us, and it makes it tough, but... That's the reality that we face as fans in the modern age, being connected and getting to learn that, hey, some good people follow teams we don't like. But with the 2013 NFL season in front of us, I will find a way. I I promise you I will find a way not to like not only these franchises, but everyone associated with them moving forward. It's it's football season, folks. We have have crossed the desert. I dropped my – the food desert scene from Lawrence of Arabia. In a preview, I think it was the first preview of the preseason, we've made it back. College football, the road to the 2014 NFL draft. Uh, the doors have opened on that road. We are now traveling that. We've got Jameis Winston, Jamias. Oh, I cannot wait to hear Van mispronounce that name. Quarterback from Florida State really exploded on Pitt last night. Uh, if you didn't see it, I guess not. He exploded. Whatever the term you want to use, great showing. And for, I, I believe, redshirt freshman, he's going to have a hype train that is being boarded quickly, maybe already full. Um, if you haven't gotten a chance to look at it, that's that's one of the storylines for the draft. You've got Johnny Manziel. I think uh, he might not have been signing checks. There might not have been checks, but it looked like his hands were making certain monetary motions in the air, <laughs> the A&M win over Rice, and there have been many a hot sports take. You know, we love our hot sports takes at Tertial Times. So the road to the draft is on. It's going to be a long season. The Rams obviously have our two first-round picks in the offing, but that doesn't come for another couple months. And in front of us, we've got a 17-week season that offers the opportunity to turn a corner, a young team, the youngest team, uh, talent in places that we haven't had it before. Obviously, guys like Tavon Austin, Jared Cook, and Jake Long are the headliners in the new class of St. Louis Rams. But the reality is it comes down to uh, playing as a team. And we saw from the defense the capability to put a team in uh, competitive situations week in, week out, save for one game played across the pond. And I think perhaps – that is a lesson learned that for younger teams going against more seasoned teams like the New England Patriots, maybe that's not an advantage we want to see to them. But, you know, perhaps there was something gained from that, you know, going 7-8-1 and one and dropping one game in London. If it builds a fan base, if it builds the strength of the team and some uh, some certainty that, you know, we're improving and that it, it can get better and it will get better, and that being the one game on the schedule that, Things got completely out of hand, although the, the Jets game and the Minnesota game spring to mind last year is games that 
didn't quite go the way we wanted perhaps in the first half and made it difficult to come back later on. It's going to be interesting to see. You know, we've got one game in front of us. You want to try to take it one week at a time. Arizona's coming to St. Louis on Sunday for a late afternoon game. We then travel to Atlanta and Dallas. So it's a, it's a game that you don't have to win, but you want to be able to get one win going on the road against a very talented Atlanta team and a team at, at Dallas that is beatable, but I don't know that with this roster and this early in the season they're going to have the chemistry to be able to overcome maybe a crowd advantage if things go Dallas's way earlier, maybe a couple unlucky bounces. We'll just have to see. And then you come home to San Francisco. So it's a tough games two, three, and four for St. Louis. I know we'll all be behind the team. It's going to be a fun ride to see how Sam Bradford uh, leads this team now that he's got options like Tavon Austin, Jared Cook, and obviously Chris Givens, uh, perhaps Brian Quick. Who knows how much of a real leap he's made, pun intended, uh, from year one into year two. And we'll just have to see what we get out of this defense if it's anything above what we got last year, there will be no Joe Lon Dunbar. Uh, perhaps Alec Ogletree and his athleticism is able to elevate the middle of that defense. And then obviously you got TJ McDonald, a couple different options at the back at safety to complement what we've got in a very strong defensive line and a cornerback core that is sufficient for any team, uh, playoffs or not. It's just a matter of having the complementary pieces. And, you know, perhaps we've got it. It's a matter of seeing what comes together. And one thing I haven't talked about is the running game. You know, this is the post Steven Jackson era in St. Louis. And it would be great to go into Atlanta, go into that game, 1-0 with an impressive offensive showing and some confidence that the 2013 Rams have given us a sense that a, that a corner has been turned and that young though they are, Good things are good things are going to happen in the future, if not sooner rather than later. So, thanks for everybody who listened tonight. Um, this was a one-off in that we didn't take calls. I guarantee that next time we will be taking calls from all of you. We appreciate you guys coming by Tertial Times, commenting, posting fan posts, talking to us, tweeting us, even you, Ramon, as much as you're as much as you're trolling delights you to get to needle me incessantly. I welcome it because you are a member of the family. Uh, thanks to everybody for listening. Thanks to Jess Root, Trey Faborg, and, of course, Jackson Bevins from, respectively, uh, Revenge of the Birds, Niners Nation, and Field Goals, SB Nation communities for the Cardinals, Niners, and Seahawks for coming on and talking to us about NFC West football and getting us ready for the season. It's finally here. I can't believe it. I'm a happy man. I hope you are, too. Talk to you guys soon. We'll see you on Tertial Times. Go ahead and ram it.
Vegeta. Nobody dresses with her. But under this cool is a quarterback mistreater. I come from the end, looking for the sack. I don't stop coming till I put them on the back. This limousine with it, my moves are like dreams. They call me the demon on a special team. I know how to rock from the toes to the head. When I pull the trigger, I'll knock you dead. I'm a mountain man from West VA. They call me Herc and I came to play. I learned long ago to ram it just right. You can ram it all day and ram it all night. Style and class, if you come my way, I'll knock you on your ass. Such so names intimidated. I pass them my way, I'll see you later. Quick on my team, the ladies agree. Before they know it, they'll ram it with me. The Iceman coming, the roar is the name. I cover the corner, they're accepting my game. Score more than anybody else on the deep, cause I move like a cat, as you will see. The guys come and take a set of dicks, son. I lead the reins, I'm the ram top gun. They say I'm as smooth as a runner can be, even sweeter than the others are talking about me. I like to dance and have a lot of fun. When it comes to ladies, what a brainy one. But enough about me, we hit a ram it, you see. Ram it just right, you can ram it all night.
Go Rams. Hi, I'm Karis Fisher. I want to tell you about another podcast you should check out. It's called Recode Decode. Every week I talk to tech and media's key players about how they're changing our world. I interview tech executives like Facebook CEO Mark Zuckerberg, political figures like Hillary Clinton, and media personalities like John Kerryu, who literally wrote the book on Theranos. Once again, the name of the show is Recode Decode, hosted by me, Kara Swisher. You can find it on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to the show. See you there.